Mothers are often stereotyped as people filled with love, doting on their precious children. But that's not always the case. The mothers in this episode were violent and murderous, sometimes collaborating with their children in twisted crimes, and in other cases, outright murdering their own children. The crimes at the top of this list are some of the most heinous ones we've covered, and they're all carried out by moms. That definitely applies to number one. It's tragic and gut-wrenching and shows the evil that some people are capable of. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 mommy issues crimes. So I have to say, a lot of cases come to mind when I think of mommy issues. Yeah, same here. It's like the main thing that I think of. Almost every serial killer, especially male serial killers, have serious mommy issues. Mm -hmm. Ed Gein is obviously the first one that has to come to everybody's mind. If you hadn't said that, I would have been like, are you okay? Yeah, I mean, Psycho, Norman Bates, like, it's all there. But there's also Ed Kemper. Yes, he had a lot of issues. Very different mommy issues. Ted Bundy had some weird mom issues where he thought his mom was his sister and his sister, it was a whole thing. And then John Wayne Gacy also had like some strange relationships with his mom. There's a lot of them. Yeah, they all just had strange relationships. Yeah. I feel like those are like killers with mommy issues, obviously. But then I can think of actual mothers who were killers themselves, like Diane Downs is like the main one who comes to mind. And then there's really complicated cases like Andrea Yates and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Yeah, those are the ones that I really hate to read about. Like, that, I kind of steer clear of those, unfortunately. Okay, well, yeah. if that is the case, then you're not going to be happy when it, we get to number one. No. Because it's a case that revolves around untreated mental health issues that ultimately led to the death of five children. It's a rough one. Elena has five mommy issues crimes, and so do I, but neither of us knows what's on the other one's list. Let's start the countdown. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. 
10. I'll start us off with number 10 on the countdown, Mildred Gonzalez and Milka Alfaro. Mother and daughter Mildred Gonzalez and Milka Alfaro were flying into Miami from the Dominican Republic when they were stopped by customs agents. When their bags were searched, the agents found about $2.5 million hidden between diapers and baby wipes. Crafty. Mildry and Milka turned out to be running a healthcare and Medicare scam that spread across seven home health agencies in the Miami area. Whoa. I know. Okay. Widespread. Getting right into it here. Just jumping right in. The home health agencies had different people that acted as owners of the agencies in return for kickbacks from Mildry and Milka, who were the real agency owners. Medicare rules state that agency ownership must be disclosed. The women also had a network of recruiters, including doctors, that would find them patients, many of whom typically wouldn't qualify for home health care. They would pay their quote-unquote recruiters with bribes and kickback money. Their scheme went on for six years, and it's estimated that the mother and daughter pocketed $20 million for themselves. Oh my god. Also, how do you pocket $20 million and just think that's never going to catch up with you? Yeah. How? That no one's going to notice that? Like, you got to bury it in the backyard and not use it if you think that's not going to catch up with you. You got to Ron Swanson it. Mm-hmm. Now, all of that money came out of the Medicare system. Which is sad. Yeah. In June of 2016, when the women were caught with the huge amount of cash at the airport, it was speculated that it was for legal help. Mildry pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and one count of health care fraud. She was sentenced to just over 11 years in prison. Wow. Her daughter Milka pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and wire fraud. She was sentenced to 12.5 years in prison. Wire fraud will get you every time. It's going to catch up to you. They were ordered to pay approximately $22,900,000 in restitution. Oh, that's all? Just that's it. That's it. Oh, all right. So uh, was it worth it? Like, probably not. How do you even find that money? How? I'm so what does that even look like? A lot. Nine. At number nine is the Tarvadieva Podkapiv gang. Roman Podkapiv and his wife Inessa Tarvadieva seem to live a normal middle-class life in Russia with their two daughters. But it turns out they were behind a string of 30 murders. Some of the dead were police officers and children. That escalated so quickly. It truly did. So quickly. Roman worked as a dentist, and his wife Inessa was a former school teacher. They lived with their two daughters, 25-year-old Victoria and 13-year-old Anastasia, in Russia's Stavropol region. Their murder spree spanned decades, beginning with a series of police killings in the 1990s. Though it's unclear which family member did which part of the killing, police later said the two daughters, quote-unquote, actively took part in all crimes. A 13-year-old? A 13 and 25-year-old, yeah. My God. Crazy. The family used the guise of family camping trips, which is when they would carry out murders and robberies. In one particularly gruesome 2009 murder, the family shot and killed a paratrooper, his wife, and their seven-year-old son. My they, God. They also stabbed the couple's 11-year-old daughter, a reported 37 times. Who are these people? Monsters. Monsters. 
The Podkopi family stole a laptop, camera, and hairdryer from the family that they murdered. Soon after their final robbery, Roman and Victoria were stopped by police. Roman was killed during a shootout with the police. Inessa and Anastasia were found at a nearby campsite where they were guarding a stash of weapons. When the police searched the family's home, they found an arsenal of weapons, including automatic rifles, grenades, shotguns, and silencers. Crazy. Wild. Like, unreal. Inessa confessed to the killing spree, but claimed she never killed children. She said that her husband shot them. Oh, okay, then you're fine. Right? It's Thank like, you. You were still here. You still saw this happening and you could have stopped. She's like, guys, I didn't kill kids. My husband did. It's like, okay. oh, all right. I just, was there. Just the man that I married yeah. and like procreated with. Wow. Now get this. She also said that she viewed her robberies and murders like, quote unquote, going to the office for a day's work. That is not the same. You know, clocking in and clocking out after no. brutally murdering people. Wow. Inessa was eventually sentenced to 21 years in prison for her connection to 10 different murders. Her daughter, Victoria, was sentenced to 16 years, and her other daughter, Anastasia, received 19 years. Wow. Unreal. This sounds like a movie. I don't even know what to say about that. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of Mommy Issues Crimes is Diane and Rachel Stoughty. When father and son Mark and Sean Stoughty died within months of each other, people thought it was a huge tragedy. But then Sean's sister Sarah was taken to the hospital with organ failure, and people started getting suspicious. When Mark Stoughty died at 61 years old in 2012, it was determined to be from natural causes. He was found with blood around his mouth, but people thought his unhealthy lifestyle was to blame. Already, I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, what now? Did we really just, like, assume that? They're like, oh, blood around the mouth, natural causes. You know what they say about assuming? Mm-hmm. His wife, Diane Stoughty, collected $20,000 from Mark's life insurance policy. Then five months later, tragedy struck again. Sean Stoughty, the 26-year-old son of Mark and Diane, suddenly died. He was also found with a ring of blood around his mouth. Are we starting to see a pattern? They're like natural causes again. Yeah. Sean had a history of seizures, and so his death was determined to be from prior medical issues. The following year, Sean's sister Sarah was brought to the hospital with flu-like symptoms and organ failure. The Stouties pastor had become suspicious of Diane's apparent lack of emotion after the deaths of her husband and son. He called the police and said he thought Diane was behind the deaths. The police visited Sarah at the hospital, where doctors said they suspected she had been poisoned. Ding, ding, ding. Diane was brought in for questioning by the police, finally. During police questioning, she told them she had put antifreeze in her husband's and son's drinks. She had also done the same with Sarah, who was in the hospital. I knew this was going to lead to antifreeze. I knew it. Diane said she had hated her husband's guts and that her son, Sean, who was autistic, was a burden to her. I... Kid, yeah. are you kidding me? She said she poisoned Sarah because she had college debt that she didn't want to pay. You shouldn't have had children the then if you thought you were going to be burdened by them. That this woman was able to have children is unreal to me. No. And had no intention of taking care of them whatsoever. Just felt like everything they did was a burden. Like, that is unreal and to me. just simply do not have them. While the police were searching the Stouty's house, they found the diary of Diane's third child, Rachel, who was 22 years old at the time. In her diary, 
Rachel wrote that she was sad her father and brother were going to die in the next few months and that, quote, it will be tough getting used to the changes. What? During questioning, Rachel admitted to helping her mother research methods to poison their family members. Dude. Rachel pleaded guilty to second-degree murder as part of a plea deal where she testified against her own mother. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole, which was very deserved. Uh, yeah. In 2016, Diane Stoughty pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Good. That's exactly where she belongs. The that story fact, blew my mind. The fact that her daughter was just saying, like, mm, it'll be pretty hard getting used to the changes around here. After we murder them. I help my mother kill my father and brother. An autistic brother. And what who makes is a you, burden to my mother. What makes you think that you're not next? That's outrageous. That's like horrific. That. And that is not even number one. Seven. At number seven this week is Sante and Kenneth Kimes. This mother and son pair murdered two people in order to steal money from them. Their elaborate schemes included forging house deeds and signatures for mortgages, but it ended in major jail time for both. Irene Silverman was an 82-year-old widow living in New York City's Upper East Side. She was a landlord who rented out apartments in her converted townhome. One tenant rubbed her the wrong way by playing loud television and blocking a maid from entering his apartment. The tenant was Kenneth Kimes. Just weeks after Kenneth moved into Irene's apartment, he and his mother, Sante, murdered Irene and forged new ownership papers for her townhome. The same week of the murder, Kenneth and his mom were arrested while driving a car that they had purchased with a bad check. Police found a trove of Irene's documents on the pair, including tax returns and the deed to her house. My God. They also found notebooks that outlined their plan with things like, quote, get SS number and, quote, when goes to sleep. Why do people do this? Like, I'm glad they do because, like, it thanks. helps us. Yeah. But wow. If that's 101 of getting caught. Truly. Like, write your plan down. Okay. While investigating the case, the police discovered that Sante and Kenneth were suspects in the death of David Kasdan, whose body was found in a dumpster near Los Angeles International Airport in 1998. Jeez. Yeah. Kasdan had been a family friend of the Kimes, but he discovered that Sante forged his signature and took out a $280,000 mortgage on her home in his name. Who do these people think they are? It's like, just go to the bank and get a loan or like try also, to. Also, you're just the worst. That's not yours. Exactly. The house ended up burning down in an arson fire shortly after the mortgage incident and Kasdan went missing. A former worker of the Kimes family later admitted to the police that he helped them dispose of Kasdan's body. Dude, what are you doing? Never help anybody dispose of a body. No. Get away from there. In the year 2000, Sante and Kenneth Kimes were found guilty of murder, robbery, burglary, conspiracy, grand larceny, illegal weapons possession, forgery, and eavesdropping. Oh, just that. I didn't know eavesdropping was a crime. A short little list. Sante was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Kenneth was sentenced to 126 years in prison. Sante was also convicted of killing David Kasdan in 2004. Kenneth later admitted to helping his mother with a third murder of a Bahamian banker in 1996. He was never charged for that crime. Kenneth later wrote about his relationship with his mom and said, quote, 
I do as I am told, the obedient son always. Gross. That is mommy issues. Yeah, that's yucky. Six. Also on our list at number six is Edith and John McAlinden. Edith McAlinden spent much of her life in and out of prison. The day after her release from a nine-month sentence in 2004, the Scottish woman committed a violent and deadly crime with her son John and his friend. A crime so gruesome, they'll probably spend the rest of their lives locked up. The day after her release, Edith McAlinden went to a friend's apartment in Glasgow, Scotland. The friend was 67-year-old Ian Mitchell. Also at the flat that night was David Gillespie, who Edith was apparently dating at the time, and 71-year-old Tony Coyle. At some point, a fight apparently broke out over who would pay to buy more alcohol. A very natural fight to have. Yeah, you know. Edith reportedly stabbed David twice in his thighs. Oh, ow. Was she going for that femoral artery? Maybe. Maybe. Instead of calling for an ambulance, she called her 17-year-old son, John, who, along with a friend, went to the apartment in a taxi. I don't like this already. When they got there, Edith, John, and his friend murdered all three men in the apartment. What? They attacked the men with different weapons, including knives, an axe, a baseball bat, golf clubs, and pieces of wood. What? What is going on? Two hours after John and his friend had arrived at the apartment, Edith ran to a neighbor for help. And said what? I just used every single thing in that apartment to kill people, Right? The neighbor walked into a gruesome scene, I can't even imagine, with everything from the floor to ceiling covered in blood. He quickly called the police. When they arrived, Edith was holding David's body and yelling at him to wake up and saying, quote, don't do this to me. You're saying don't do this to me after you know what you just did? The police said it was impossible to patch together exactly what happened because there was so much blood at the scene. You can only imagine. John later bragged to someone that he killed his mom's boyfriend after the boyfriend had tried to rape her. That is not what happened. The person he told went to police and John was arrested along with the friend. Edith, John, and the friend all pleaded guilty to murder. They were all sentenced to life in prison. Good, they need to be off of the street immediately. What an escalation again. Seriously. You just stab a guy in the thighs? What are you doing? Dude, the last one? I can't believe we're not in the bottom half of the list. I know. We started off and I was like, oh, okay, we are really getting to this. Yeah, we started off running. There's definitely some that I'm waiting for. How about you? There's a couple that I would say I'm waiting for, but I'm actually just hoping because I really don't want to hear them. That they're not on the list, yeah, I know. But I have a feeling they are. Yeah, I know that there's a couple that you're thinking of that I definitely have, Eek. and I'd just like to say sorry in advance. I appreciate the apology. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction 
and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican, to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD, and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of Mommy Issues Crimes. Starting off the second half of our list is Ma Barker. Though Ma Barker was never arrested or convicted of a crime, she became known for covering up and possibly assisting her gang of four sons on a crime rampage across the U.S. She's very intense. She scares me so much. Ma Barker was born in 1873 to a poor family in Missouri. In 1892, she married a farmer named George Barker, and they went on to have four sons, Herman, Lloyd, Arthur, and Fred. Throughout their teenage years, the four sons were in and out of prison for petty crimes like theft and robbery. Ma Barker helped the boys get out of prison and made excuses for them. It became so extreme that her husband George left the family and said he had lost control of his children. He just washes his hands of it. He's like, bye. He's like, listen, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. Nice. In 1931, Barker's youngest son, Fred, got out of prison with his friend Alvin Karpis. Carpus and the four Barker sons created a gang that was based out of Ma Barker's home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Carpus Barker Gang. Unique. Very. Creative. Yeah. How did you guys come up <laughs> yeah. with that? They set out on a crime spree that started with a string of bank robberies in the Midwest. Then they robbed a department store in Missouri. The next day, they shot a Missouri sheriff at point blank range. They just have like no chill whatsoever. They are wilding, <laughs> one might say. By now, in case you didn't guess already, the FBI was on their trail. How? <laughs> Crazy, right? But the crimes, which were reportedly all sanctioned by Ma Barker, didn't stop there. In 1933 and 1934, they carried out two abductions that got them $300,000 in ransom money. Dang. And that was in 19-something. That was in 19-something. 1933 and 1934. Sorry, lost my train of thought there. Now, by 1935, the family gang was starting to crumble. First, Arthur was arrested by the FBI. And a week later, Ma and Fred Barker got into a four-hour standoff with police that ended with both of them dead. It's rumored that Ma killed herself after seeing Fred killed. Jeez. Carpus was arrested and thrown in prison. Arthur was later killed while trying to escape from prison. That went bad. It really did. Four. Landing at number four this week is Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose. To most people, Gypsy Rose was a wheelchair-bound child with a host of medical issues. She was cared for by her loving mother, Dee Dee. But after Gypsy was found guilty of helping to kill her mother, a much darker story was revealed. 
I will never forget the day that I walked into your house and you said, sit down. <laughs> we're watching a said, documentary. I said, what? And yes, you said, we're watching a documentary, Mommy Dead and Dearest. And yep. we sat there. You choked on a Domino's lava cake. I did. It was a fateful day. And it, it was crazy. It was almost my last. And yeah. I'm really glad that it wasn't my last watching this documentary because, oh my goodness. Yep. This case is a whirlwind. Bonkers. So in 2011, when Gypsy was 19, she tried to escape from her mother. Her mother had lied about her age, telling people that Gypsy was 15. Gypsy tried to run away with a man she met online. Her mother chained her to her bed for two weeks as punishment. In 2012, Gypsy started an online relationship with another boy named Nicholas Godijon. A few years after connecting online, he and Gypsy planned to meet at a movie theater where he would meet Dee Dee, Gypsy's mom. The meeting did not go well, and Dee Dee again punished Gypsy. In June of 2015, Gypsy and Godijan hatched a plan for Gypsy's escape from her mother permanently. Godijan came over one night after Gypsy let him know that Dee Dee was asleep. When Godijan got to the house, Gypsy gave him a knife and then hid in the bathroom where she covered her ears. Godijan stabbed Didi to death. He and Gypsy left and stayed at a hotel. They posted a Facebook status from Didi's account that stated, quote, that bitch is dead. Prompted by concerned neighbors who saw the post, police searched Gypsy's home and they found Didi's body. Police found Godijan and Gypsy at Godijan's house the next day. During Gypsy's trial, it was revealed that Gypsy had none of the medical issues her mother said she had. She could walk without a wheelchair and didn't need a feeding tube or breathing tube like she had been using. That part of this story, how did they fool, like get these doctors and hospitals to agree to give her all these different it's just like, whoa. It's so crazy. But that documentary breaks it down. And it, it was does. like, as soon as one doctor started catching on to the yeah. whole thing, she would leave and go to a new doctor. But it's just so wild that like they can put a feeding tube inside of you when you, you don't, don't need, need it. one. It's so scary. And it's just like, why would this you do that to your child? child? Yeah. Like that is trauma that you can't even comprehend. And trauma that I'm like, you, what, how are you going to heal from that? Yeah, that is a Munchausen by proxy situation that is like on a different planet. To the nth degree. Now, Gypsy pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Prosecutors said they could have secured a first degree murder charge, but they wanted Gypsy's abuse at the hands of her mother to be taken into account which it should have been. Absolutely. Godijan was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Three. Number three on our countdown of Mommy Issues Crimes is Gertrude Banaszewski. Oh, no. Yeah. With seven children of her own, Gertrude Banaszewski seemed like the perfect foster mother. But she turned out to be a violent authoritarian who abused a child in her care so brutally that it led to her death. This story. This is a case that I will never, ever, ever cover on Morbid because it just breaks my heart. Ugh. The parents of Sylvia Likens and her sister Jenny worked in a traveling circus. Their father, unable to care for them, found a home to put them in for $20 a week. That home belonged to Gertrude Banaszewski, a 37-year-old mother of seven. Shortly into their stay with Gertrude, she began to abuse and torture Sylvia. 
she encouraged her children and their friends to participate in the abuse. Gertrude accused Sylvia of sexual promiscuity, removed her from school, and locked her in a basement. She took a heated needle and cut words into Sylvia's stomach that read, I am a prostitute and proud of it. What? so hard to even get through this. It makes me want to cry. How does she have a beating heart inside of her? She doesn't. Like, she's not of this world. No, she's not. She truly isn't. She's a full-blown monster. And this is a woman who has seven of her own children. And encouraged them to do this stuff. It's so sad. At one point, Sylvia tried to escape. She was sickly and malnourished and didn't make it far from the house. Gertrude forced her to write a letter to her parents saying she was a sex worker and was going to run away from home. The abuse continued. She was sexually assaulted and made to consume her own urine and feces. There's no words. There really, it's so beyond. On October 24th, 1965, Gertrude's daughter's boyfriend struck Sylvia in the head with a broom. Sylvia died of a brain hemorrhage two days later. She was just 16 years old. When Gertrude's family noticed that Sylvia was no longer breathing, they called the police and showed them Sylvia's letter. Sylvia's sister, Jenny, approached the police and said if they got her out of there, she would tell them everything. Gertrude was arrested, charged, and convicted with murder. She managed to obtain parole after sitting in prison for 20 years. That is outrageous. A that woman, woman should have never breathed outside air ever again. To literally make a little girl do Ugh. such Ugh. horrific things and make other people do such horrific things to her only got 20 years in prison. Yeah. Two of Gertrude's children served prison sentences of two and seven years. Two other neighborhood boys that participated in the torture served two years in prison. Wild. A slap on the wrist. An attorney representing one of the neighborhood children said, quote, There was never any experience in Sylvia's life up to the time she went into Gertie's house when she learned that people would come to her aid. That is so heartbreaking. Her whole life was just so sad and bleak. Oh, that's Sylvia Likens case, man. It's, oh, how is that not number one? I know. Like, because number one is, is number, number one. one. Yeah. Oh, great. I wonder if it's the one I'm thinking I of. I think it probably is. I'm still waiting for one on this list, and I'm thinking it's probably your number two. Yeah, I think it is. And okay. I'm very excited to tell you about it. Oh, great. Note that sarcasm. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Mommy Issues Crimes. At number two is Diane Downs. Diane Downs pulled up to an emergency room with a gunshot wound to her arm. In the back seat were her three children, who all had gunshot wounds. Though she pleaded her innocence, all evidence pointed to Diane as the one who shot her children. In May of 1983, Diane Downs pulled up to an Oregon hospital with her children, Christy, aged eight, Cheryl, aged seven, and Danny, aged three. Each child had been shot at close range. Cheryl was dead, while the other two children were seriously wounded. Downs had a gunshot wound in her arm. Weird. When police arrived at the hospital, Diane told them that a bushy-haired stranger flagged her down on the side of a country road late at night. Diane said she got out of the car to help the stranger. He leaned into her car and shot the children. But when police began to question her, Diane's story had a lot of irregularities. 
They found her diary, where she wrote about being obsessed with a man who didn't want children. Diane reenacted the night of the shooting for police, but her behavior was suspicious. She acted giddy, laughing and cracking jokes while explaining how the shooting happened. She's a disgusting creature. Yeah, if you watch the video where she like reenacts everything, she is so terrifying. Having a blast. Exactly. She's having a blast. She maintained her innocence and went on a press tour appealing for people to try to help find the killer. But her press appearances really harmed her case. I'm glad she did that, though. Yeah, she showed who she was. A TV interviewer asked Diane what she thought when the man shot her children. Diane said she, quote, snapped back to my own childhood, to the pain that happened to me. She also said about that night, quote, I don't think I was very lucky. I think my kids were lucky. How were they lucky, ma'am? How? You're completely fine. You got shot in the arm. One of your kids is paralyzed. One had a stroke from being shot and the other one died. And she's got her arm in a sling. And she's like, I wasn't so lucky. You're walking around. They're all hospital bound right now. She's so disgusting. And do you want to talk about how horrible your own childhood was? Nobody cares. Right now, when we're talking about your three children who were shot at point blank rage. Okay. Yeah, literally. Make it about yourself right now. She continued to talk about herself through the interview and seemed to sympathize very little with her own children. Hospital staff noticed that when Diane visited her surviving daughter, Christy, the child became tense and agitated, which literally shatters my heart. That she would see her mother, the one who shot her and tried to murder her and murdered her two siblings. Mm -hmm. And she's like having a physical reaction. Yeah, like her heart rate would increase. And that she can't get anywhere or tell anybody like this is who did it. Because she can't even speak at this moment. Nine months after the shooting, Diane was arrested based on the circumstantial evidence police had gathered against her. Her fate was sealed when her daughter Christy told the courtroom that her mom had shot her. Which that poor little baby. Seriously, and all the work she had to do to even testify against her mom. Diane was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. She remains in prison to this day. She also escaped from prison one time. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, she was gone for like a little while too. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 mommy issues crimes, Andrea Yates. I knew it. Andrea Yates suffered from years of psychosis. She was in and out of mental institutions and attempted suicide multiple times. Then she was left alone to care for her five young children. She drowned them one by one and said by doing so, she was saving them from the devil. Andrea and Russell Yates were married in 1993. In the span of six years, Andrea gave birth to four boys, Noah, John, Paul, and Luke. The family were passionate Christians and held regular Bible studies in a bus that they converted into their home. But Andrea struggled with ongoing mental disorders. In 1999, she overdosed on prescription pills and was taken to a psychiatric hospital. She was later diagnosed with major depressive disorder. That same year, she started having delusions. Andrea made another attempt on her life, but her husband stepped in. She was again taken to a psychiatric hospital and put on antipsychotic medicine. Andrea's psychiatrist warned her that having another child could induce a serious psychotic episode. But despite the warning, in the year 2000, she gave birth to a girl named Mary. 
In March of 2001, Andrea's father died and her mental state deteriorated and she was admitted to a mental hospital in a catatonic state. In early June of 2001, Andrea's new doctor took her off of one of her antipsychotic medicines. On June 20th, 2001, Russell left for work, leaving Andrea alone with their five children, all under the age of seven years old. She began to drown the children one by one. After the killings, Andrea called the police and said, it's time. She told her husband to come home. During the investigation, Andrea told police that she drowned her children because she thought she would get the death penalty, which is what she wanted. Hmm. She also believed she was saving them from Satan. She hmm. said, quote, the way I was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of comments on what she did. During the ensuing trial, people questioned the culpability of Andrea's husband, Russell, in the murders. Yep. yep. They had been warned against having a fifth child because of her psychosis and still chose to do it. Andrea was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison. Her conviction was later overturned. In 2006, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to a mental hospital. She remains there to this day. I think she needs to be there yeah, forever. I think that she's definitely where she belongs. Yeah, and I think certainly. that she's not the only person to blame for the murder of those children. No, definitely not, but she shoulders the blame for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to agree with the podcast research gods. That was definitely number one. I will say, though, I think maybe I would have switched two and three because Sylvia Likens was tortured for so long. Yeah, I mean, honestly, none of these. I'm like, I don't know how you even rank them yeah. because they're all so disgusting and mothers, horrible. Especially the mothers who murdered their own children. I think those all deserve to be number one. I mean, like, I just don't. I hate these kind of crimes. Like, we usually won't even cover them on Morbid because I literally, like, can't talk about them or research them too yeah. hard. Crimes involving children are just really hard to get through, obviously. So I, I give credit to the podcast research gods for, like, really diving into some of these because they're ones that I have not been able to venture into. Same here. But, yeah, I would say I can't... Honestly, I don't want to think of any more, but there definitely are more, like the ones we mentioned right up at the top. Yeah. But thank you for not going into those yet. Because <laughs> let's not do a part two. <laughs> let's not do a part two, even though we definitely can. For our own psyches. Well, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it all the way here, you can follow Morbid anywhere you listen to Morbid or you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. And we hope you keep it weird until Monday. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. <laughs>